Welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a music producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Aaron and Benny from Bronze Whale. If you're not familiar with their project, their music is a real unique blend of pop, hip-hop, and electronic influences. Their debut album called Shape of Things dropped earlier this year, and it really showcases their unique sound and style. I'll play you their latest single as we move into the interview, but let's briefly touch on what we'll cover in this episode. So we spend a while talking about their background, looking at how they met, and why they decided to form a duo. They actually started off with one of them mentoring the other in music production, so we talk about how they transitioned from that relationship into becoming partners. Aaron had a decade of production experience before meeting Benny, so it was real interesting to hear how they came together and why that dynamic worked extremely well. We also talk about the writing workflow that they've developed that helps them stay productive in the studio. They have a real unique approach to starting and developing ideas, so if you're somebody that gets stuck in the 8-bar loop trap or maybe even gets intimidated by a blank project file, there's a ton of practical advice for you in this interview. We also discuss how they work to develop their own sound, how they ensure they aren't overproducing a track, and some of their favorite tools and production techniques. They just released a single called Growing Up, which I'll play you a preview of as we slide into the interview. With that, let's wrap things up. Here's the EDM Podcast with Bronze Whale. Just a little bit older So tell me what you want from me Said it won't take long Making moves to like it free Across lines we've drawn Yeah, and I've been moving up Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the duo Bronze Whale. Guys, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. How are you? Not too bad. So as always, I'd love to start with your background in music. Talk about what you were doing before the Bronze Whale Project and how you ended up coming together for it. Okay, yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm i Aaron, uh, Aaron Jakes, uh, here with Benny Alley. Uh, I have been involved in music um, since I was a little kid. Um, and uh, played drums as my primary instrument, and you know had a, an acoustic guitar floating around the house, and a, at one point a uh, upright piano, um, and just kind of always been fascinated with it. And um, played in bands as a little kid. Um, got into DJing, that led me into producing. Kind of um, obviously, I suppose a lot of kids get into that and then see uh, that the the guys that are that are doing the best at, uh, you know, the whole DJ culture are also producing their own music. Um, so then I opened up a recording studio, uh, later on down the road, uh, met Benny during that process. Uh, we, we started working together, uh, 2011, I believe, uh, December, mm-hmm. 2011. Uh, and then just never really never stopped. It just had good friendship, good relationship, uh, with music. Um, yeah. So talk about how that recording studio came about. Did you have like a formal training going into that? I'm curious to hear more about it. Um, yeah, I, I've just been studying the the engineering side of things for quite a while um, and decided that I didn't want to be on stage, didn't really want to be on on that side of the music industry. And so I just kind of wanted to be the the guy behind the curtain and was working at a television studio here in Austin, uh, actually the public access community television as their programming director, and then uh, got the opportunity to open a public access recording studio for audio uh, here 
and uh, kind of the first of its kind. And while doing that, a student of mine um, wanted to do kind of the same thing, but he wanted to do a for-profit studio. And so he wanted to invest in it and he pulled me away from there. We ended up opening a, a large, really beautiful studio. Um, and we needed a very expensive computer and met Benny through that because he was working at Apple at the time. And, and him and I became friends through a um, uh, kind of a music sharing chat room called turntable.fm. And okay. uh, so, you know, we had similar taste in music and just yeah hit it off and and for the computer i gave him some production lessons and we did some remixes um and they were dope so we just kept going so benny did you have any background in music before aaron started working with you yeah nothing like this though so i i mean i was like a band nerd all through school so i played trombone and like a little bit of guitar here and there so this side of things was was very new to me but um i had always been super intrigued by it and uh um, was always just big, especially with electronic music of like digging. So YouTube became a really easy way to do that. Um, and I was always just kind of looking for stuff that people hadn't heard. Always really enjoyed showing my friends music that they, they probably wouldn't have found otherwise. So, um, the platform that we met on was just a really nice escape for that, uh, turntable kind of created this situation where it was like a, a digital, uh, DJ showcase where people would hop up on decks and anyone could tune into the room and you could play music for people. So, um, and people could vote up or down if the song was good. And if enough people didn't like it, it would boot you off the deck. So it became a really easy way to like find tastemakers. And, uh, and so I was just doing that. I was working at uh, Apple computers at the time and, and, uh, that was just kind of my daily escape into music. But what started happening was the room got well known. Um, I had been using it since the beta. So, uh, um, by the time it went live, we already had a handful of of actual like producers and musicians cooked in. Um, and just oddly enough, you know, out of it came a bunch of writers for uh, a music blog we ran and then our, our future music manager <laughs> and yeah. a whole bunch of people. Yeah. So it just it like turned into a bunch of friendships and, and it was all based on, you know, a very specific taste in music that could be defined by uh, kind of forcing people to show you what they had. That's interesting. I feel like I'm sure the platform is still around today, but that's like a very unique 2010-esque experience. Oh, yeah. It's actually gone. Yeah. All of those people, it's gone now. Yeah. I feel like that's like a very unique marketplace that, you know, not that it couldn't exist now, but it's like a very specific place in time that all of you could just be hanging around. Mainly also because no one knew at the time how to quantify streaming on so many ways that people were just uploading music yeah. locally to this thing. And then the big labels were just having a field day with it, trying to figure out how you would gauge <laughs> like all these people just playing music that they would you know download yeah. and, and put on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was cool because not only could you upload any MP3 of somebody else's song that you had, you could also search YouTube or SoundCloud to to stream it directly from there. But you could you know since you go to upload, you could upload you know your work in progress kind of a thing. So there was a a, a big. Um, a big kind of arena for people to showcase what they mm. were working on, which I thought was pretty unique. Um, and so a lot of producers sort of got together and got to know each other through this platform as well. So when you two first started working together and you started giving Benny lessons, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So was it just like you vibe together and you're like, hey, I know production and you want to know production. How did that kind of come to be? 
where you started, you know, kind of mentoring or tutoring him, however you want to put it, and then started working on some remixes together? Uh, well, actually, the first lesson was uh, a a kind of a bootleg concept. So it was a find a, a song um, that is mostly vocal, maybe like a piano, but, you know, like a super stripped down song. And uh, so I think he found a song by Peter Wolf Cryer, was mm-hmm. it? Um, and so I sort of showed him how to, to EQ so that you could kind of just like, you know, maximize the vocals. And then, um, and then we just right off the bat, I just kind of showed him how to make a bootleg. And, uh, so, or an edit, a lot of kids call them, uh, now. And so we did that just, you know, first lesson, we just started writing, uh, you know, right away. Um, and by the second lesson, it, it actually, we did something totally different. We tried another song and it was just actually really good. And so we kind of like, it had me thinking, cause I was, I was releasing uh solo on um, just putting stuff out on SoundCloud at the time. And, you know, and I had a couple of, a couple of accolades at, at that point already had my, you know, my first hype machine, number one pop page already um, under my own personal name. And, um, and so I, I had already kind of like had that feeling of was like, well, if we made something cool, like we'd have to do something with it, I suppose, you know? Um, and so, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, by the second one, by the second time it was, it was pretty clear that, that we enjoyed, um, working together and I, and I definitely got a lot of energy off of, off of him, um, that, you know, kind of helped me, I think, uh, it was kind of a, a you know, a, a muse mentor situation. Kind of talk more about that. I think when people think about joining on with somebody in a duo, they think about people in a similar skill set and similar experiences, but that doesn't really seem like it was the case, but your skill sets and at least your knowledge was complimentary. Like you brought some to the table. So kind of talk more about that. Definitely. I mean, so I'm, I'm a, uh, six years older than Benny. Um, and I had been working, um, you know, kind of at this for a long time and, um, and he he had a fresh a fresh view on music and and it was interesting to yeah. to have somebody that I thought had a really good ear for music um that could just be sitting right next to me basically saying yes and no to stuff that I was doing um you know is this good or not and um and it was really useful to have somebody to bounce that off of um but also you know having he has an impeccable eye for um for design and so there was a lot of use uh you know moving forward as far as as you know helping to promote stuff and um yeah. so it it became a, a very interesting you know uh relationship right off the bat where we had um i, th- I think in the beginning very different um roles mm-hmm. um but as as he learned over the years that you know that all kind of came together and yeah. we we sort of crossed over uh yeah, with our first remix that we actually put out as Bronze Whale, I mean, you got to think at the time, I he Aaron had been teaching me how to use a doll and how to produce for two, three months. So mm-hmm. the majority of what I could do was really just sit in the back of the room and conceptualize and listen and kind of be a second set of ears. So as Aaron would drive, I would make notes and then offer up, uh, you know, if I, I heard something that I was like, what what if this chops here? Or what if you cut this here? Yeah. So I could start injecting at trick ideas and, and then just watch and Aaron would be like, okay, so that idea that you just suggested, here's how we did it or here's how we would do it. Um, but I realized quickly, you know, Aaron had been producing uh, for, for, you know, a long period of time and had this voice and this idea and initially when we started working together, you know, the, the biggest thing I figured I could offer was, okay, his, his production is, you know, 
something I don't have. So um, can I brand this project? Can I add things to it since, you know, we're a team of two people. So, um, you know, while he would be, you know, mixing down a song or working on some mastering, I'd be in the back of the room trying to figure out a new blog list or, you know, what the art for the next release was going to look like. So, um, you know, and nowadays we both do all the the tasks and have a team around us. But I think it, it gave us an early yeah. view into like different sides of this and, and being humble enough to like be willing to do the less glamorous angles of the project. Was that something that you naturally gravitated towards? Absolutely. Doing the more like busy work for it, Benny? Yeah, I, I just have always enjoyed marketing. Um, and okay. it was it was something that I, I, I approached Aaron initially with... Um, uh, you know, he had offered me lessons, but the the first day we ever met up in the studio, he already had a music blog. And I was like, this thing would be perfect for Hype Machine. And he was like, well, I submitted it like a year ago, but it got turned down. And so I was like, well, let's just go look up the guidelines to hype them and figure out today how we make it look like something they want. And so I think within three days, it was, it was very quick yeah. Yeah, on, on Hype Machine. And so I always I've always enjoyed trying to like figure out how we could make something look bigger um, work on a tight budget, but make things look professional. So when you kind of started working together, was there like a singular moment when you thought and really developed the bronze whale project? Um, uh, I mean, we, I think we're still kind of doing that. I'd say that we, I think we really developed the bronze whale sound probably maybe about a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's been evolving for a long time. I mean, you know, we definitely had the, 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 the backyard, you know, drinking a beer, standing next to a fire conversation, trying to come up with a name for the project. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, realized then that, that, you know, we were actually going to try and do, do that, you know, actually going to pull out all the stops and, and, and do our best to, at making a, a go at this. Like one thing that I was thinking about earlier is how different your roles were at the start. And you talked about those have shifted. And you talked about how those roles have shifted. So talk about kind of where you two inter- where you two interact with the project right now. Yeah. So um, I would say probably around year two or three, um, my level of production had had begun to meet Aaron's, and um, you know we could both quickly start ideas. And it was interesting because um, throughout the entire project, we've always had very different tastes even in electronic music of like, like we vibe on the same playlist, yeah. but we both want initially like different things out of songs. So I tend to lean really heavy on like an EDM sounding starter. And then Aaron can yeah. take that and usually like inject so much like hip hop and break it apart. Cause they'll tend to be like these really lush things full of reverb. And he knows how to, to simplify that. Uh, whereas Aaron will give me something that's like heavily drum based, maybe not even like a synth on it. And then let me go to town kind yeah. of painting on it. So um, I think we've, we've bounced between each other well on different roles, but now um, I think Aaron has accelerated quite a bit in, as far as like drum making in our project and, and initial um, melody design. So I'll usually come in and begin to work off of his melody. Um, and now that I sing um, pretty early on in our, our originals, begin looking for like a vocal concept before the melodies are too busy um, to lay in. And then, and then we'll just kind of collectively build around that. I love that. I want to get into kind of the writing process later on, but I think an interesting question that I feel like you both will have an interesting perspective on is how you were able to develop so quickly underneath Aaron. I think, you know, we've got a lot of producers listening to this podcast that want 
to mm-hmm. get good at production as fast as they can. And mm-hmm. I feel like both of you will be able to speak on how Benny was able to accelerate so quickly to get to that point where he was, you know, feeling more comfortable creating and releasing tracks. Obviously it was together, but kind of talk about what were some of the things that really helped you, Benny. And then Aaron, on your side, what you saw that helped him grow as fast as he did. Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, a big part of what we do in music is ego and personality. I mean, you look at all these artists and I don't know, as far as finding your own voice, there's something kind of humbling about that. And for me, I was lucky enough to work with someone that was already, uh, you know, like I've always thought Aaron is an amazing musician, but as far as just like a technical person, he was teaching at the studio that he, you know, introduced me to. So I knew that he had a passion for like breaking down what things were and, and really you know, explaining them and being like, you want to record this? Do you want to have a video of this for later? So he was always big on that. Um, I think for me personally, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to say when it came to music. I just knew I desperately wanted to say something. So for a long time, I was really comfortable um, kind of being Aaron's hype man, so to speak. As, like, I, as my voice yeah. developed, I, I let him have the voice and was just happy enough to be like a part of the conversation. Um, and then you start to realize as you're adding pieces in and Aaron would be like, Oh shit. Okay. That's, that's better. That's better. And then eventually you start bringing full starters to the table. And as a co-producer, he would go, okay, well, there's a song, especially the first time I think I presented something that I would be like, Hey, do you want to finish this? And he'd be like, I think it's finished. Like, let me mix and master this and then see if there's anything needs to be tweaked. And then you realize, okay, I, I, I now know how to say something as an individual. Um, but yeah, meeting someone and being okay to, to take a back seat and let them just show you, um, how they do it, how they, how they would say this thing and realizing that some emulation in the beginning isn't, you know, keeping you from your own voice. You're just learning that language. Yeah. It's interesting. And then Aaron, kind of talk about on your side, what yeah. you saw in him that made you want to kind of pick him up. Because I think a lot of people, that's the ideal scenario. They get kind of, you know, pricked out, picked out, and then sure. somebody helps them get to the point where they are now. So I'm interesting to hear that from your side. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, I think it's a, it's, it's, there's actually two sides to that. There's, there's, I think there's a place that a, a producer gets to where they need that. They need to find somebody to kind of, uh, you know, to shadow and be kind of, or to, you know, to shadow them and sort of mentor. Cause there's a place I think where you get to as a musician, where you, you start to, you know, kind of lose uh, the drive a little bit. And I think I was, I was starting to get there. Um, but also with, with, with Benny, it was really just his taste and, uh, and his excitement for the whole thing. Like, there, you know, I didn't, yeah. I, I hadn't really met very many people that um, were, were not, not necessarily excited about, about, writing music or being a music producer, but just being involved in the industry in any way, in any capacity. Um, and for me, like I, again, I just, I was starting to feel just sort of, you know, a little bit beat down just from like trying and trying and trying and trying and, uh, and, and just needed kind of, uh, something to energize me and his excitement for the whole thing and watching how excited he would get when, you know, one of our songs would just get, you know, a, a little bit of accolade or whatever that um, it, you know, it, it, it drove me a lot to, to be more excited about it as well. I think that makes a ton of sense. And the past few podcasts that I've recorded have all been with people that have been in the industry for about 10 years. And every single one of them voiced similar, not necessarily frustrations, but struggles just to keep the fire lit and to keep 
I don't know, being motivated, especially when you beat, especially when you've been beat down so many times, just like pick yourself back up. So it's interesting bringing somebody with more of a fresh perspective, not necessarily the skill set, but at least the fire and energy to kind of pick you yeah. up and take this project to where you, you know, where it's been. I mean, that's one of the most important parts, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and I'd spent a lot of time, uh, you know, stumbling and learning and trying to, to fit, you know, good 10 years before we met. I mean, I started playing with music production software back on, I think, in like Acid, Sony's Acid 2.0, <laughs> uh, before when it was actually made by, uh, one even Sony, it was somebody else. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, I've been playing with it forever. And, and so, I mean, in, you know, to meet somebody and to be able to to give them ten years of knowledge within just a couple of years, um, I think was it was really satisfying. And I'm sure you know, I'm sure that any any producer out there that um, can can find a mentor, like by all means, do it. So you mentioned earlier how your writing process has kind of shifted, and now you're working vocals into it. And obviously, I want to get more into like the production behind it later. But talk about at least nowadays in 2019, what your process looks like for collaborating on a track and then developing that further? Um, I think, well, I mean, we do a process where, where we, we will take a little bit of time to, um, to write starter ideas. Um, and so maybe take a month and try, you know, every day if you can, I mean, we, we, you know, we always say like one a day, but like, you know, do your best. And sometimes they're trash and sometimes they're only, you know, a 16 bar little, little thing. And sometimes, you know, you get a whole, whole song idea out. Um, and by the end of it, you have a handful of things that you could choose from, you know, maybe 10, maybe 12 kind of filter down to the best ones and then start, um, start developing those and, and putting, you know, vocal ideas on those. And that seems like the most, like linear and uh, um, way to do it. Um, it doesn't always work that way. A lot of the times we'll have a ton of things on our plate. Um, we'll have mm -hmm. projects that, that, you know, our manager is, 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 you know, is, is yelling at us to get finished. Um, not, well, she doesn't yell. Lovingly. Yeah. She's wonderful, but, Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <laughs> You know, and then and then we'll just I'll just have a day where you know I'm sitting here by myself, or Benny's sitting at home by himself working on something, and then just a fire ignites in what we're working on, and then there's this brand new thing that just takes complete uh you know our attention completely away from everything else, and and yeah. sometimes these songs are finished within just like a matter of you know a few days to a week, and it's just like bam, there's a song, and 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 I think those are a lot and a lot of times the best mm -hmm. ones. And Aaron's definitely yeah. broken through, I think, the this barrier that all musicians are in. Um, I still struggle with it a lot more, which is just repetitive writing and not getting in your head about single song or just returning to these starters over and over again. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more. And I think a lot of artists really struggle with that, especially early. You know, you hold on to these little things you create and there's not a lot of them. So you just really cherish them. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, we have producer friends that we're working with and growing on our label and I see them doing that as well. And they're like, I just got to keep working on the song. And it's like, why, you know, like, why haven't you written any new material? And it's like, well, this is like my baby. And it's like, oh, okay. Cause there's, there's not a bunch of ideas yeah. there. So Aaron pushes that a lot. I try to keep up. Aaron's definitely, uh, real good about, you know, every studio session we get on, he's like, look at these two new beats. So he's just every day in the cycle. And it's, it's something I think that everyone should work towards because the more you do it, 
uh, not only the better is your your better your process is, but you also stop holding on to songs that potentially they're going to write a better starter. Yeah, yeah. It also makes it really hard to collaborate if um, if you if you're so in love with something that you can't let somebody else change it. Um, hmm. And so that's that's kind of another important thing I think to you know I mean it's like I mean I, you know I trust trust Benny completely and we, we've been working together forever and there's still been a a, a handful of times where um, yeah it's like something that I've like you know maybe I've taken it too far and like gotten it a little bit too close to done in my own personal opinion um, yeah. to where when he starts to play with it I feel like he's changing things that I'm in love with and I think. And it the, feels so good <laughs> <laughs> to ask that question. I'm like, are you sure I can, I can fuck this up? And he'll be like, well, yeah. just this one synth though. And I'll be like, no, Ugh. it all has to be <laughs> yeah. open. So, but so I think it's important too, to, to, you know, learn a process and, and write a little bit uh, more without, you know, those kinds of, uh, um, I don't know the best way to put it. Um, just without those kind of like, those needs to like coddle like your, your creations yeah. um, and be open to see what, what comes out, you know, be open to see what you're going to get. I think that's a big thing that we've seen time and time in years or time and time again over the years is, is just, you know, especially collaborating with people that maybe you haven't worked with before, or even just for Aaron and I just trusting that whether you like what someone does more or less than what you did, you still have the original version and who knows what's going to come out. So it's always been super important for us. Like when we, we worked with other singers to not just yeah. inundate them with ideas early on. Cause it's like, you're going to stifle whatever amazing thing they might've created on their own. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sure that this was a central process for helping you develop your sound. You talked about earlier how you felt like you were just kind of coming into it in the past year, year and a half. Talk about what that process was, because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, that's their goal with music to an extent, is finding a unique mm -hmm. signature sound. And I feel like with your last album, you kind of definitely nailed something solid with it. So talk about what that process was and you know the five years or so of your project that led up to it. Uh -huh. I mean, really, I think that it was finding, uh, just finding process in general. Um, and I think that, for me, as far as the, because I do, you know, most of the the uh, instrumental production, you know, Benny handles like the vocals and stuff we do them together. But for me, um, there's a tempo to the writing process uh, that is pretty necessary to 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 kind of have a sound that um, is relative to all the rest of the songs. Um, if I like slow down in my writing or I take some time off, uh, then I can, I'll find that, that my, my sound is less consistent from one song to the next. Um, and, and it really was just, you know, over the years, cause I mean, in the, in the beginning, that's, there was that there was so much downtime, uh, you know, day job is a really hard thing to work around as a, as an up and coming producer, um, having yeah. the time to do it. Um, and you know, uh, I think that we just finally got to a point to where the we were producing enough stuff on a regular level to where a we can pick and choose the best stuff. I mean, there's a ton of stuff, you know, in the in the period from when the album came out that we didn't use, and um, and we ended up using a whole lot of that stuff for our splice sample pack, um, and and trying to find creative ways to still use some of that stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. it wasn't bad. It was just like, um, but. Yeah, I mean, like, find like really just developing the. the I, I know 
developing a process sounds like a strange way to describe your process because <laughs> it seems pretty yeah, obvious, but it's just like, but it, it's the act of developing it, like and 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 finding something that you can repeat. Essentially, mm-hmm. was what what it kind of took for me. So was it finding something that worked and then like reusing the things that worked about it? Um, it was more or less uh, repeating the process as opposed to the 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 the, the stylistic things or the the sounds or any of that it was more about um repeating the steps of um essentially you know making so for an example so if you were to like yeah uh make like a 16 measure loop that is like full of all the parts it's got your bass it's got your main drums it's got your your you know primary synth um maybe like a lead synth or or something to where it's like that's like your full stack that like would make up a chorus or something and then taking that um, and then putting markers throughout your entire project where you um, outline a, a structure or a format of the song. You know, um, one way that you can quickly identify a format is if you have, say you're working in a song that's at 140 BPM, you could go and um, find another song that you love, that you would love to, you know, that they, uh, of a producer that you look up to. Um, mm-hmm. load that song into your project and put markers at every major transitional point in the song and learn, learn, you know, you probably need to, to read a little bit about uh, music theory, but learn about your, you know, your intro, you know, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, double length chorus yeah. kind of thing. And like learn about a couple of different types of uh, song formats and they'll change based on BPM. Um, but once you get like your 16 measure stack of like a chorus, all the stuff that you can work with so then you can kind of just like spread it out over the format and have like you know your 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 verse could just be a very simplified version it could be the same drums with the same bass or whatever you can write different stuff of course but just as a simple way to like you know because i always i always love it when a starter uh ends up being at the end of a day where it's you know it's actually like three and a half to four minutes long it's not just like a 16 measure loop it's like i took that 16 measure loop expanded on it and and sort of spread it out and you can kind of create like a paint by numbers kind of a, a a concept there where you know what's supposed to be in each each chunk. So it's like, you know, as I'm coming out of my second chorus or whatever and, and I want to go into my bridge, it's like I know that I need to have like a subdued version of the whole thing, probably with no drums and maybe some really unique melodic part that is different than everything else. So it's like you already sort of have an idea as to what needs to go there. Um, and it just takes out, it takes away a lot of the guesswork. Um, so, so those types of things, like coming up with like a system like that, that you can do, um, that you can repeat. So not necessarily repeating like the sounds or trying to have something like constantly trying to make the same song over and over again, but just create a system that you can, that you can repeat. So Aaron, earlier you mentioned how important you said there was a tempo to your writing and not referring to like BPM referring kind of more mm-hmm. to how often you were producing. Can you dive into what exactly you meant by that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really just like uh, daily um, and and seeing how far I can go on each one each day. Um, and But really also trying to stick to sort of one idea a day. Um, yeah. if, even, even if I'm, even if I like get to a point in an idea to where I feel like I'm failing at it and it's just nothing's coming out of it, that's generally when I'll go back and, and start, stop, trying to create new ideas and and then that's when I'll you know take the time to to go back and listen to other stuff or work on uh work on songs that need to be worked on um but it the tempo is 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 more like 
it's it's like I can't take breaks. Like I can't yeah. I can't take the time off um very much. I mean, you know, even when I vacation, I I usually take my laptop and spend at least a couple hours a day um in coffee shops trying to to kind of keep that going. Is there anything when you two were getting started when you were both presumably working more traditional jobs that helped you to kind of keep that tempo and consistency going? Um man, I don't want to think back to those days. Those are dark <laughs> days. <laughs> uh yeah, man, just really, it was so hard to carve out when we're both working like nine to five jobs. Um, but I think the breakthroughs of the nights that we spent having studio sessions really uh, like made up for all that time we weren't working on music. In some ways, it kind of yeah. makes you hungrier. You really have to reevaluate when you're uh, doing it day to day that you are mapping out the day. I think Aaron and I are both super nerdy about like scheduling our days. And like creating checklists and, and, you know, leaving the time to be creative, but also making sure that like you hit all your marks for the day. Um, but, uh, you know, back then just making sure that we had, you know, very specific days. I mean, we, we always had like three days a week that these are the days we're going to get together and write. And we would talk before those days and be like, Hey, this song is fire. We really have to finish the song. We love it. Um, or, you know, we have like two or three kind of washy songs and maybe something will come of them, but we don't trust any of those enough to not have a chunk of time tonight where we start writing something. Yeah. And also we would just, you know, work on the important stuff and then go have drinks and then sometimes <laughs> just show back up to the studio and, yeah. and wake up in the morning and be like, I think we have a starter. Um, I got to <laughs> listen to it a couple more times or I'll message him at two and be like, did that suck last night? And then we like, let me go back and listen to it. So, you know, sometimes we just kind of get out of our head a bit and, and just come look at the whole process from a different angle. Uh, I was just going to say that I think, um, I think one of the things that, that helped us a lot with um, working outside of our day jobs was that, you know, it was fun for us. We had a lot of, so in a lot of ways it was, it was just our, our, what we would have done as a social activity. I mean, there's plenty mm-hmm. of, you know, drinking Miller High Life involved with with working on these <laughs> working on these songs, you know. And that's so. the power of like some good electronic music too. It's just uh, you know, just having this dope drop to a song and just being like, oh my God, we wrote that and us, you know, like jumping around the room and being super excited about it. I mean, it just kind of washes away the time and um one thing i wanted to kind of backtrack on what aaron was talking earlier about just the process of doing it day to day you know one thing i think that's super important to remember is there's this really delicate balance between um exploring and finding new tools and pushing yourself so you never get stale but also like falling in love with tools and creating your own classics i think aaron and i both have a tool set that are specific to us that we just love Um, even down to like two different reverbs, like depending on who was working on the song first, that's which (laughs) reverb is going to be on the song. And sometimes when the other person's not looking, it might get deleted (laughs) only by me. Um, but you know, just like, there's a couple tools, like there's a couple synths, a couple synth sounds that I know, you know, are so powerful and how they make me feel that I can use them five different ways. Um, or I can apply certain effects to this one specific synth and it can give me two or three different things, whether it be this kind of bassy tone or like a good mid. Um, and it's all from this one sound and, and I never want to use it to the point where it's stale, but you know, when it, when you talk about developing a sound that I think is a part of it, it becomes these certain sounds that you're like, uh, you know, why does Odessa always just have, 
this certain thing. Well, you know, they're probably also back in the early stuff using like a, uh, you know, old vintage VSTs that just have that good warm yeah. crackle to them. And, and it starts to become your sound. Um, and then also just making sure that, you know, 10th starter in a row, you're like, okay, am I only going to these two sounds? Let me go explore a new thing, uh, you know, to, to, to purchase that is going to give me a new sound for the day. Yeah. So one thing kind of on that, when you were walking into the studio for these starters, what do you walk into it with? Do you have like a specific mood, a specific idea, or do you just kind of start in the dawn and see what comes up with it? Um, man, that, that really, that really just depends. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, you know, the idea that hits you when you're in the shower of like, you know, there's nothing more that I want to do right now than, than go out and, and, you know, grab my drumstick and bang on every little thing in my room and record it and come up with really weird percussion today. Or, yeah. you know, like I, you know, I just saw that they released, you know, a new version of, of massive or something. And like, and, and so now yeah. I really want to go and play with that. Um, so, I mean, the inspirations are definitely, are definitely different. Mood has a lot to do with it. Um, okay. For me personally, it seems like oddly enough, early in the morning, or late at night is when the most creative stuff seems to come out. Um, yeah. And then kind of the middle of the day is like a, you know, we've got a list today, like, Hey, we got to get these assets uploaded for a new song we're putting out for another artist. So it's kind of like, as the day goes on, yeah. um, you kind of get a little tired and, and you just do the admin stuff for our label mm-hmm. and project. But I find that like, if I'm sitting at a coffee shop alone at 10 AM, I'll, I might have a melody come to me or, super late when we should be done and going to bed. It's like, Hey man, you want to go open the dog again? And like, I think there's this melody. It's, it's the times when the world's not buzzing so much. It feels like there's just more room for that, but I'm sure everyone's different. You know, I've definitely experienced that while we're on trips and um, we have like a buddy that lives, you know, up in the Hills in LA and I've set out at his picnic table and stared off and it's three in the afternoon. You're like, Oh, this is the perfect time to write music. So, um, I, it's different every time, but, uh, quiet moments, I guess in general seem to be yeah. the, the ones that, that bring something that means something. Yeah. I think it's important to note that everyone's different, but I feel like I'm kind of the same as you, Benny. Like I feel like early in the morning when there's just no bad stuff in my brain, I am like free, not too judgmental and I'm more mm-hmm. open middle of the day would have, you know, started working a little bit more. It's easier to doubt myself when I'm in the studio and late at night when I'm exhausted, when I just have no ego left. Sometimes something beautiful can come from that because I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, chopping down any ideas that could, you know, come to form. But that's just the way that I see it. And I think, like you said, it's important. Everyone's going to have their own, uh, like, you know, timing and workflow for when they're the most creative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier how Aaron kind of helped you so that you weren't overproducing some of your music. And that's something listening to your latest album, I can really hear where I feel like just everything that needs to be there is there in the track. It's not overproduced. Mm-hmm. There's not too much crap and shiny things just distracting you. Has that been like an intentional focus? And how have you gone to kind of rein that in? I mean, er, uh, early... Because I suffer with that so strongly. So selfishly, <laughs> I do want to know because I overproduced the crap out of records. Yeah, and I, I mean, like James Blake. And I'm like, what is my problem here? He's just got one bass going, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, and oh, that was enough. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, it's super intentional, first of all. And... Uh, I, I, we used to like laugh about, you know, back in the early days, we, we did some really great collabs with, uh, this producer, Ian Borg, 
kind of at the tail end of like the chill step dubstep sound. And we would just have these projects where we were rendering down stuff like <laughs> stimming stuff out constantly. Cause it would be like a 90 track song. Yeah. And, uh, and you would like to say that most of that's Foley and effects, but it's not, it was like <laughs> multi layers of parts. And so I think the the two things that really changed was one, just the general idea of simple, perfect parts um, Aaron's pushed for a long time. I think it was Rusko who said it, like you should be able to solo a part and it be interesting. And if it's mm. not, then write it again. Cause Ooh. if, if it's, if the singular part is not like, you know, if you were to solo Catronata's bass lines, you'd be like, that's mm-hmm. dope as it's own. If you, the drums, you know? And so that was important to us. Um, but a big part of that too, was Aaron has really just pushed, in this project and in himself just to uh, like consider every single song he has to mix it and master it better than the last song. And I think as the parts have begun to shine, the simplicity shines through as well. Um, the parts just sound good. Yeah. And so you don't need a ton of them if, if they're filling up the space where they need to, and they just, you know, hit the way they need to and they sound right. Um, a lot of the clutter, I think is compensation for spaces that you think need to be filled or bad parts. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add on that, Aaron? Um, I mean, definitely it's really hard to mix a, a really cluttered song. Um, and so there's, there was, you know, some inspiration from that. There's also, um, I mean, just listening to some of, uh, you know, some of the more modern, like crossover of electronic music and pop music, uh, some of the stuff that, you know, Diplo was working on, um, mm. and even a few of, you know, like this, the Skrillex songs, it's like, you know, writing stuff that, that sounds like it was easy to make is very, very difficult to do. Absolutely. To like make stuff that that people are you know it's like I mean yeah it's like I mean you can sit down and and make a, a simple but perfect song um, but I I would I would venture to say that most producers that do that they're either incredibly um, far along in their career or it's a fluke yeah you know and there's a handful that um, you know are just that talented right out of the gate um, but yeah I mean just kind of simple but perfect was was a bit of a mantra for a little bit and uh and just also seeing you know the success of that kind of music the digestibility of it the uh you know the the commercial application of it um yeah because you know the more the more complex and sort of cerebral it gets you know the 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 more your market is 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 very defined and also setting timelines for ourselves that we used to probably, I mean, we would have thought they were ridiculous. We would start on a couple songs and, you know, some of them were getting legs and we're like, Oh, that's going to be something. And then, you know, one of those that is the next one that's going to come out is actually three months down the road when we finally like tweaked it enough. And, um, it was really our, our manager, Lindsay, that just kind of was like, yeah, that's, we're done with that. Like that song is dope. And I want it in two weeks. And, uh, just making things a little more haphazard, just going for it. And, uh, and, and also like the final night before submission being like, have we, have we pop checked this enough? Like, are are we a hundred percent sure? But we, it just, it sounds that way. And sometimes there are errors, even in something we'll put out. And I, and I love them because I'm like, we're, we're making this music and we're loving it and we're just giving it out. We're putting it out. And, 
you know, we spend the time to make sure it's, it's up to our standard, but we're not just obsessing to the point where, um, it's like, you know, you can definitely airbrush a photo too much. And, and I want some of those flaws in these songs. You know, I like, we leave in mess ups in the recording process and we love them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got to stay fun, you know, when it, when, because I mean, I think the, the, the the part of the American dream of this and like the beauty of being able to do this is like the thing that you would have been doing anyway in your free time becomes your job. Like if it's some, you know, like for, for the kids out there that get paid to play video games, like, man, you made it, you know? <laughs> so like, it's gotta, it's gotta stay fun for me, yeah. I think. And, and I think that, that, you know, obsessing over it too much kind of, kind of negates that. Is there anything else at this point that you feel helps you to make sure that you're staying fun and excited about production in the studio because you know i think so many producers when it does transition into music being their job they struggle with it initially because the framing completely gets flipped and it's not as easy to just like step in because they need to produce music in order to support themselves yeah i mean for me like i definitely have the you know the the plug-in companies and the other, you know, the various, you know, companies coming out with, um, uh, you know, hardware, um, to thank for that because I, I'm like a, I'm like a kid in the candy store whenever there's a bunch of new stuff coming uh, here's out. Here's like a VST junkie. He's like I'm sending me an junkie. email every hour or two. Like, do you see this one? I'm like, well, can yeah. you test it? You buy it and then tell me if it's <laughs> yeah. like two weeks from now, if you're still using that one, I will get it. My yeah. my email is is completely full of all of the sales at like Plug and Boutique and ADSR and all that stuff. Like yeah. I I get all the stuff at the moment it comes out, and I and I just nerd out on it. So so that it's it, that that's I guess an easy thing for me to be able to to stay stay involved. You know, we we do write lists. We we like to handle, or we're very hands on with a lot of sides of this project. So we do create lists for studio time of the collective time of, of what we need to do and the decisions we need to make. Um, but as far as creative time collectively, cause we do spend, you know, a lot of time separate working yeah. on things. Um, we'll pull up, you know, the handful of, of songs that we know have potential and uh, Aaron will usually just start running through them with you know, no designation of what we have to work on. And then, you know, I can pause him and be like, hold up, like that, that needs a new synth or I am, I'm already humming the vocal for this one. And so we, you know, when it comes to the creative part, we, we put the list down a bit and say, okay, what, which one is just the right one to work on today? Which one feels like it needs, or we have something for it. So never forcing that voice, um, you know, and, there's parts of production that you can definitely force. Like once it's to a point, you're like, tonight we're going to add some Foley or tonight we need to put some effects on this song or yeah. it needs, you know, builds and risers. And, but you know, as far as like the right parts, um, you can definitely make a checklist of what it's missing. Um, but I, we don't try to force what we have to deliver per se. Yeah. I mean, speaking of checklists, I think that that also is another thing that makes it easy um, for us is that we, we handle so many other aspects of, of our, our business and, you know, we have our record label and we release, uh, you know, other people as well. So like if just not feeling writing music, there's, there's never a shortage of, of other administrative things to work on. Like if you just kind of, you want to have one of those days where you feel like a grown up and like, yeah. <laughs> and just do like regular work. <laughs> but you're always doing something to help the project and help your music. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a little bit worried about asking this question going down that rabbit hole, but 
what are some plugins that are essential to your workflow right now? Um, I can keep that pretty short. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Isotope. Um, yeah. I love mm-hmm. their their plugins for mixing and mastering. Um, you know, of course, we we use Serum. Um, I'd say that I probably use it most as a sample player, though, because when we record our our Foley stuff, I tend to try to to gravitate towards things that have a tonal quality. So recording like, you know, banging on wine glasses or yeah. or bowls or or things like that that you can then tune to a C and then load it into the noise, uh, the noise part on uh, on Serum and then layer little bits of synth and effects on top of that. So use it a lot for like plucks and things. Mm-hmm. Um, really big fan of um, um let's see, what is it? Chromophone? Yeah, from Applied Acoustic Sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really big fan of theirs. Really, I like their Lounge Lizard too. Don't use a whole lot of roads, um, unless I'm making some. You some don't like, need it till you need it. Yeah, you don't need it. That's true. Um, but uh, but their their Lounge Lizard's really really good. Uh, I found one the other day that I'm actually having a lot of fun with. Um, it's called Loom, hmm. um, and uh, I think it's on sale right now for like fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents on ADSR. Uh, but it has a really cool randomization. Uh, function and 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 like before even taking the time to learn how to use the the plugin itself i just spent you know the better part of an afternoon just hitting random and every single time that something cool happened i would just save it as a preset and uh and that ended up with a a really interesting bank of 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 stuff um easy keys easy tune is, is something i'm always using um, and just kind of the basics. I, I used a ton of Serum just because I, you know, learned learned that well and, and knew that that was a tool that I could tackle. Uh, RC20 mm-hmm. um, is something that I, I use pretty consistently just yeah. to give sounds weird textures. Um, and then, Aaron, like I said, Aaron's always finding new ones, so I'm always pulling a sound here and there out of those. But we also just do a lot with Foley. I'm big on, you know, uh, Aaron would record these like tonal hits um, and just hit bike frames and stuff. And and so we'll pull those in and, uh, and just sample those sounds and then tune them. And then you're like, here's a synth that no one's ever going to have a sound that, you know, is natural, but not. And, uh, and we do a lot of that. Um, Yeah. I was actually pretty bummed when Splice told us that we couldn't release uh, <laughs> Serum presets that required a noise. Oh, yeah. Uh, that required a WAV file. Sense. So they, they just have to be purely just like programmable patches. It does make sense. But I was like, man. Still. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but at the same time, I guess we didn't have to give away the gold. So yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Is there anything else like that that you feel like is unique to your workflow? Obviously, it's hard to talk about this compared to every other producer. But given the amount of people that you've been around in music, Aaron, is there anything else, you know, outside of your incorporation of Foley as synth textures that you think is unique? I mean, that's a tough one. I think, uh, because I mean, I think that everybody does really interesting stuff and, and just the whole the idea of, yeah, of just like recording weird little noises has become wildly popular, especially with, you know, uh, Facebook and Instagram stories being full <laughs> of kids doing that. Um, I think, uh, I mean, we we use a really strange DAW. Um, we we don't use any of the conventional stuff mm. in that respect. Um, we use uh, Reaper, okay, um, as our primary platform. Um, so I, I think that because of that, I think that our the way that we route 
our projects and the way that we get sounds through routing is probably different than most because I'm proficient on, um, you know, um, Pro Tools and um, Logic and um, pretty good with Ableton. We work out, we work with friends on Ableton as well, but I've, I haven't found anything that I can achieve some of the same routing mm. um, with other than Reaper. And then, uh, I, I mean, other than that, it's kind of hard to say, like, I mean, it's just the blend. I think yeah. there's so many people that are so strong in their, their angle. And I think the, the blend of, uh, the vocal style we're, we're working on right now, you know, and, and when I stepped into this, there were just people I absolutely loved and, and had always sang to and, and just dug the style. And like you had mentioned earlier, like James Blake or like Chet Faker, yeah. Samfa, and, uh, and so then you go, okay, well, if we're, we're, you know, we, we'd made dubstep, we've made trap, we're kind of making this weird fusion now of R and B and hip hop with these elements from those. So if I can sing the way I want to sing, but kind of incorporate a style that I'd always wished I had heard on this style of music, yeah. you know, then people can go, oh, I, I see you pulling from these different angles to make something unique. And I think that's really all you can hope for, you know, your unique angle is the the deviation from the angles that are already known you can go really anywhere you want with this question but talk about how you developed the unique processing sound that you have on most of your vocals layers upon layers upon layers <laughs> of things that fix me um uh you know we'll <laughs> um we'll we'll lay in a vocal and then usually just run it initially through melodyne um uh, we still use a tool called uh, M Auto Pitch. Um, it's made by Melda Production. And we only use that for a formant. Uh, I actually sing, if you can't tell by the way I talk, <laughs> very high. And so we, we wanted it to, to sound like me, but also just have this kind of deeper voice that you could tell like wasn't too natural. Yeah. Um, like uh, I remember, you know, hearing uh like childhood memories by rockwell you know just these digital voices that are like haunting and weird and i was like how can we blend um this idea of like this natural organic voice but also you know with all the interest in like auto-tune vocals um i just think they're always just too far that direction so um we try to pitch it a little bit um from there we'll usually use valhalla um, room or vintage, depending on who's working the DAW, um, <laughs> to warm it up. And and I I tend to like the vocals like wide, and so we'll use isotope to spread it out um, and just compress from there. And and then usually if it's if it's just not cutting it for us, we'll start to try to work weird angles with it. Like sometimes we'll duplicate the vocal, give it a plus twelve, but then go into um, M auto pitch again yeah. and like give it a minus 12 there. So it like equals out kind mm-hmm. of, but not really. And, and, uh, or like maybe put it negative 11. So it's slightly off tune and just look for weird things. Yeah. On the format. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet. Um, all right. So you two just released a uh, track called growing up a few days ago. Talk a bit about how that came to be. So growing up started, um, I guess probably about a year ago now and we were on on a trip in Los Angeles and um, just had this beautiful studio offered up to us. Um, Shout out to our buddy Thomas for setting that up, but we were just up in the Hills and just, it couldn't be more perfect. 
uh, walking to get coffee every morning. And I think the whole trip, the vibe was just uh, really happy, kind of introspective. And, uh, and we were just locking in the sound that we knew was going to be um, our sound moving forward. And I think the sessions that happened kind of towards the end of us finishing up the album songs were really awesome because we knew then what the sound was going to be. And so we were really liberated to just explore that, but also kind of go left or right from the songs that were on the album. Uh, I'm pretty sure that one came together like in a single day, more or less the, the original idea, it was really far along the first day. Um, and, uh, while production was getting done on it, I, uh, I just kind of wandered up the hill and spaced out and worked on the the vocals for that. And uh, definitely had a lot of thoughts about where we were going with this project and how fast it was accelerating and, and thoughts about kind of really starting to feel like an adult in this industry, getting called DJ dad <laughs> being like, all right, are we, are we, you know, we're growing up, we're, we're changing. So, um, love that. Uh, I think, I think that, that more than anything, kind of to touch on what Benny was saying, I think that we, we had literally just wrapped our album. Um, and, and we knew that while we were there working on everything that we were working on was, was all follow up. It was stuff that was, you know, slated to be coming out, um, at, you know, the beginning of, of this year and, um, and, you know, then moving on into the year. And so like, you know, it was one of the songs that we wrote that, you know, may have come out even back in like, like April. Um, and so, um, it was just exciting to, to like have like all of this stuff in our, our kind of like in the, in the pocket ready to go. And we had this whole album that was waiting to come out. So it was like, I think for the first time you'll be able to hear it in the song. It's really, really playful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time that I think that there was like, there was very little pressure um, while while working on this one, and I think that it, it comes through like that. I love that. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can find Bronze Whale's music in the description of this episode, so go give that a listen as this podcast is just about over. Guys, it's been great chatting with you, and I appreciate you being on the show. Likewise, man. Thanks so much for having us. 